edition of the Pixel and Roll Show, we discuss the best basketball team in the galaxy, your Washington Wizards. Hello everyone, this is Adam McGinnis. It is Tuesday, January 5th, 2016. It is another frigid, frigid evening here in the nation's capital. Wind chills in the teens, going to dip into single digits. It is, it is very, very, very Arctic chilly outside. And once again, the uh, Washington, your Washington Wizards are chilly as well, especially from shooting. They, f- they have lost their last game on Sunday. They currently sit at 15 and 17 on the season, losing on Sunday to the Miami Heat after a victory against the Orlando Magic to kick off the new year. With me today, I uh, have two awesome guests. I'm really excited. Both both of these fellows were at these games. They're producing all sorts of pixels uh, for free on truthaboutit.net. You can go there and check them both of their wisdom out. Uh, with me is uh, Brian France. Brian, what is up, man? Not much, man. Thanks for having me. And the dean of the TAI crew, uh, my main man, uh, Rashad Mobley. Rashad, what is up, bro? So when you say for free, do you mean that we're working for free or that they're reading it for free? Uh, everything's for free, I believe. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to light up sponsors uh, as, as we go. Uh, uh, you know, it's the internet. It, with everyone, never wants to pay for anything out there. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but, but thanks, thanks for joining us, fellas. Let's get right into it. Like I, like I mentioned, the Washington Wizards coming off of uh, a four-game winning streak. Then I lost two in a row to the Raptors and the Clippers. Me and Kyle discussed both of those games on the last podcast. Go check it out. Uh, we also gave out Christmas gifts to uh, the Wizards players uh, and Randy Whitman, which is very entertaining. So go back to the last episode and check that out. It was, <laughs> I had a good time uh, talking to Mr. Truth about himself. And then the, the the Wizards start the new year with a very solid victory o- over Orlando at home. They seem to have their, their number. Uh, the 11th time in a row that they have beat uh, the Magic over the last three years, which is kind of astonishing considering the Wizards haven't been that that great. I mean, they've been better, but not dominant. And then they lost on Sunday to, to the Miami Heat, who they have actually been also pretty good against uh, the last two years. Let's start with the positive side. Uh, let's start in, against the Orlando. Like I mentioned, this the Wizards, for some reason, are just better than the Magic every time they play them. Uh, I don't really understand it. Brian, you were there. Just give me your thoughts of uh, the, the Magic game. Um, well, that one, frankly, it could have gone a lot of different ways. Um, Rashad and I were talking about how it was odd that, you know, early in the game, um, John Wall came out. I forget 
exactly what it was. I want to say it was about six minutes in or so. Um, and he was, if I'm not mistaken, the first one to come out, the first wizard starter to come out. And, uh, you know, there were, Rashad made a comment, uh, half joking about, you know, maybe he went out a little bit too much the night before celebrating New Year's. And he had kind of struggled early in the game. And then he came back and put up, what is it, 24 and 13. Uh, you know, he had a, another solid game. He played about 39 minutes. Whitman said after the game, you know, he he knew he was going to uh, get John 38 minutes, 39 minutes. He figured he might as well just sub him out early. He looked tired early. Then immediately afterwards, we talked to John, and he says, yeah, I subbed myself out. So not really a controversy. They won. Things worked out fine. But it was a little odd saying each each of them said, you know, Wall decided to come out. I made the decision. Yeah, that that is peculiar. It's a little different when, when, like you mentioned, when there's a victory. There's not really... When there's a loss, then they'll be like, you can point to that. (laughs) They'll be hyped up. They'll be tweeted out. There'll be headlines on multiple outlets. But when you win, it's ends up kind of being a peculiar throwaway throwaway line. Uh, Rashad, did you party it up on the New Year's as hard as uh, Wall and the Five Deep crew did? And, and and what do you think they were up to? Number one, I don't feel comfortable discussing the aspects of my personal life. I prefer <laughs> let my words speak for themselves. Uh, but, but number two, you know, I was, Brian and I were watching when Wall came out, and it didn't look like something that he willingly did. I mean, literally... I saw Whitman get up and called him out, and he came out of the game. So that's a little revisionist. Um, and he was not playing well. I mean, it's not like he just was not playing well. He looked sluggish. He looked a step slow. And even when he came back in the game, he wasn't quite up to speed. And then he had the block and the dunk, and he was his normal self. So that was that was the first thing that I took away from that game. The second thing, and this isn't Wizards-related, but it's still pertinent to the game, is that Victor Oladipo is really good. I mean, it just, I don't know whether he gets up for playing in front of the semi-home crowd or what, but he just took over the game, particularly in that third quarter, and made it that Wall had to take it to another level. And that really struck me. You know, he he was doing everything. Everything that Wall did to get the Wizards back in the game, Oladipo was doing. He was hitting big shots. He was getting steals. He was being active on defense. And, you know, that was my second biggest takeaway of the game. And then third is Otto Porter. I mean, he was aggressive, um, and I don't know if you listened to the game, but Phil and Buck were kind of joking around that he sat while he was hurt, and he watched um, Oubre have a lot of good games on defensive and offensive end and said, wait a minute, I'm not that hurt. I, I can't let this young guy take my spot and came back in, and everything we've been seeing from Otto of late is he's aggressive, he's taking the shot when it's there, he's moving without the ball. And, you know, I don't, that's a trend that I hope continues regardless of who's in the lineup or regardless of who's playing well in front of him because that's the big jump. The same jump that we're expecting Bill to take, we're expecting Otto to take in the absence of Pearson. Just in this small sample size, he's actually taken it, and it's positive to see. So, of course, it didn't carry over to the next game, but, you know, I think that's more of a function of who's not on the roster right now in terms of injuries. But still, just in a small sample size, it's very good to see Otto Porter being aggressive. Yeah, I think there was three straight games that he had with twenty points. Was I think was was the was the point that uh, Shanier was making 
uh, I think Chris Miller actually mentioned mentioned it to him. I remember exactly what we were talking about Mobley, where uh, you know, it was like, "Hey, Phil, you like, that young guy's doing well when you, when you're out, and now you get back and got little uh, extra motivation." They had a chuckle about it, and, and Schneer really said you can really see that in practice is when you can really see where. Uh, someone that is kind of a young dude trying to go with your position, you going at him. Uh, Rashad, I will always talk about my personal life. I did not do much on New Year's Eve. Uh, I chilled at my <laughs> sister's place and babysat her kids so my sister and her husband could go out uh, and have dinner together because they have two little kids and they never do. And it is, you know, I'm uncle of the year and it, it is it is earned, not given. Uh, uh, kind, kind of similar to uh, playing time under under Randy Whitman, uh, and we've noticed where someone has earned playing time is Mr. Kelly Oubre. Brian, what have you seen out of Kelly? I know he's a constant theme. I think Whitman mentioned after this Orlando game that it was some of the best defense uh, he had seen out of the rookie this season. A lot of deflections. He was very active. I know he missed a couple. Uh, alley-oop dunks from Wall that might have brought the house down. Uh, and Wall kind of joked about him missing a contact uh, on one of the lobs. What have you seen out of Kelly uh, up close uh, this season so far? Well, so just a, a comment on that game specifically before I get into it. Uh, I did actually in the locker room, I heard, I forget he was who he was talking to. I want to say it was Jay Michael, but uh, he went up and he was talking to him specifically, just, you know, the two of them off to the side. And he was like, no, I'm serious. I really did lose a contact. And, you know, he's kind of just, like, almost incredulous who he was talking to. Just, like, did you actually play the fourth quarter without a contact? Or are you really <laughs> just trying to mess with me here? And then John Wall brought it up again later. So even now, even having hear, heard them both say it, I don't know if it was true or not. Because um, I don't wear contacts. I just recently got glasses, and I pretty much don't wear them. But to me, it seems like it would be very difficult to play anything with only one contact in. Either none or both would be one thing, but with just one in, I feel like it would be really difficult to gauge any sort of depth perception. So, uh, anyway. Um, you mentioned playing time being uh, earned and not given under Randy Whitman. And it's kind of interesting that you phrase it that way, because... That's totally the case, but on the one hand, I thought at times Kelly Oubre had earned a little more playing time and wasn't receiving it, but then, you know, 80% of the roster is, you know, walking <laughs> in crutches and everything, and just like that, Kelly Oubre is getting starts. You know, he, he hates playing young guys. You saw that when he brought in Ryan Hollins, and he started, like, the first or second game or something. It's got not necessarily anything to do with uh, you know, reps or anything. It's just about age and experience. Hollins had been in the in the league for a few years and was immediately thrown into the mix. Kelly Oubre was sort of given the, the old school approach of you have to sit on the bench for a while, just like Otto Porter was. You know, just like pretty much every young player ever under Randy Whitman. you got to sit on the bench for a while, learn from watching the people who are, you know, doing it as pros. Rashad, what have you seen out of the, me, uh, the the rookie from Kansas? Well, number one, his his demeanor. Um, I think in any sport, but specifically in basketball, the number one thing you hear out of the players is the game moves so fast and they can't catch up to it. And that may be the case in his head, but on the court, he just seems very calm, very deliberate with what he does. If he's going to shoot it, he takes his time and shoots it. 
if he's going to pass it, he passes it. There doesn't seem to be any indecision, at least outwardly. So that's very impressive. Um, if I can go back to the second when Brian was describing how difficult it must be with that perception and one contact, he basically just described Derek Rose's whole season uh, <laughs> with the mask. Um, so, you know, anyway, so I'm very impressed with his offense. And then on defense, he's just, this is not a surprise because we knew he was going to be this way. He's just almost like an irritant. Um, there was just one move, the only good thing that happened in that Miami blowout where Chris Bosh had an open three and I don't think he expected Oubre to recover as much as he did. And it shocked him for a second. And he traveled. And, you know, that's that's just what he can do. He's long. He's quick. And he looks like, he even said this after the Orlando game, he looks like he doesn't want to let anybody down. So he really makes a concerted effort to make sure that he's in the right place, that he's not shooting the ball too much. Um, the only time he really lets loose is in garbage time when it doesn't matter. But when he's in there for meaningful, impactful moments. He just is really thinking but not overthinking, and that's impressive. Um, I still don't think he should be playing over Porter. I mean, I saw that argument online that he, maybe he should be playing over Porter. I don't think so because Porter's not done developing. Um, and I, I think you need to give Porter time, but I also don't think he should be buried on the bench either. I think during this time when the Wizards are the walking dead, he needs to get as much playing time in meaningful spots as possible so that later on in the season when hopefully everybody's back you can put him in and it's not okay he's on the short lease we have to watch him he will have been in these little sample sizes of meaningful moments and he can play so we'll see yeah i've been i've been really impressed of his development what both of you guys have mentioned his demeanor his just appearance of belonging in the nba you know you still have you still see some defense defensive rotations that are maybe slow, some box outs, him kind of not not reacting to the ball here and there. But but overall, he doesn't really stand out to be the one like, oh my goodness, he's the one messing up. He's kind of just belonging. He's, he's assimilating very well. He's, he's, he's ready to shoot when he gets the ball, which is always one of my pet peeves, no matter how, age, how old you are in the NBA or college or basketball in general. It's like, man, when you get the ball, someone pass you a good pass, be ready to shoot because... You know, defenses give you only give you so much time uh, to, when you, when you're open. And and what I noticed was kind of impressive. And I think Shanir actually mentioned on the broadcast was when he's now kind of coming in on his drives. He kind of now is learning. Okay, I can't go in all the way. You know, in this league, I can't do what I did in high school and college. Now I gotta now I gotta figure out a way to use my body, and my athleticism to to finish somehow. And he's trying now trying. He's implying these lessons, and you kind of see him growing. And that's been really, really uh, uplifting for, for this team and kind of been one of a positive of these rash of injuries that we will mention uh, later in the podcast. Uh, one note before we finish out this magic, or two notes before we finish the magic game out. What I thought was also impressive, too, is John Wall. You mentioned how he turned it on in the second half. He Many, many highlights. He broke people's ankles, the hesitation, the I think there was a there's two two or three and ones that were really impressive. I thought that was pretty awesome about this game. And and Chris Humphrey scored 11 points uh, in the fourth quarter. One time, I think at the end he kind of had a three to help pull the game away. And when I was watching it, even on replay, I was like, no, 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 no. Oh, okay, yeah, it went in. Uh, Brian, uh, what did you see out of Chris Humphrey's? And what was the arena like when some of these highlight plays that Wall was making? 
Well, uh, on Humphreys, and uh, I, I even said this to, to Rashad, he made some comment. Um, I guess he was looking at the box score as the fourth quarter was progressing. He goes, does Humphreys have all 11 of his points in the fourth quarter? And I just stared at him for a second. I go, no way, that can't be. And I started looking, I go, oh my God, you're right. Like, it was amazing. I, For me, at least, maybe I was the only one, maybe on the broadcast they were talking about it, maybe everyone else in the stadium, for all I know, was like, oh my God, Humphreys is taking over. But for me, it seemed like a very quiet uh, 11 points in however many minutes it was. And then he didn't have any, I think, in the second half of the fourth quarter. He, uh, he got his 11 points. Um, I'm trying to find it here. I think it was... Uh, 531 uh, it was when he got his final point, and then he came out uh, three minutes later for Gortat. And, you know, he, he had a three or maybe it was two three-pointers and a couple jumpers, but he basically was a non-factor for the whole game, however much he played, and then he came in and put up 11 points. And that's, you don't, when you think Chris Humphreys, one of the last things you think is, you know, spark plug off the bench, <laughs> you know, he's a guy who's going to come in and play his role, you know, maybe he can hit a few threes now, suddenly this year, he can grab some rebounds, he can basically just be somebody to take up minutes, but you don't think of the guy who's going to come in and, yeah, four for five shooting, eight minutes and seven seconds, 11 points, three rebounds, like, that's, that's not a Chris Humphreys line, typically, um, so I thought that was, that was a very big benefit considering it was also in the fourth quarter when they outscored them, outscored the magic 31 to 19. Um, and then, uh, as for the highlights, the two that really, really stood out for me were the hesitation that you mentioned. I mean, I just, I was, I was there as media, you know, you're not supposed to get too excited about it. But for a moment, you know, I kind of went into the fan. Oh, my God. I mean, that hesitation just looked like it was in slow motion for a second. And then he looked like he, you put it on half speed, and you just jerked it into fast forward all in one motion. And uh, and then the crossover on Evan Fournier, I want to say it was the fourth quarter. It was definitely in the second half, but just a, an unbelievable. It was either two or three crossovers just all in a row. And Fournier looked like he was going to fall, but then – wall crossover again and Fournier almost like caught himself he almost like double fell it was like a double negative and he just kind of looked stunned it was really just an amazing sequence uh, uh brian some some wisdom from bloggers row fuck that you can totally cheer uh and and, 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 and also i don't i don't necessarily cheer i just get really upset when they're playing bad yeah <laughs> so a lot of a lot of cussing what are they doing I'll, I'll I'll react, but I I mean I, I don't know I, this team has I don't really cheer that much for this team I think they've 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 really not, I'm saying cheering like like screaming you know like it's the burrito toss or the t-shirt toss uh, it's just more of a oh yeah good play <laughs> but when they yeah, do like when I, they do I, bad I when they do bad I might I might uh, get get drop the that's when I drop the f bombs. <laughs> yeah, it gets vulgar pretty quickly, but I, I try to try to contain myself. You know, when I'm not only in public, but in public, you know, in my button down and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kyle would probably disagree with with that advice I gave you, but uh, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't listen to this podcast. What, what's up, Kyle? So, so, so it's all good. Uh, Rashad, uh, let's segue into the uh, Miami Heat. 
the LeBronless Miami Heat. So this is the first time that Miami has beat uh, Washington in a regular season game without LeBron, uh, and since he uh, took his talents back to uh, the mistake on the lake. Uh, what did you see? Uh, what I saw was a ninety-seven to seventy-five uh, loss. Where the Wizards were outscored twenty-five to seven in the second quarter, just awful, awful, terrible second quarter. Uh, once again, the Wizards against Toronto in Toronto uh, before the New Year's had an awful second quarter that kind of cost them the game. This time, they never really made a camp comeback in the second half. The Washington shot four twenty-nine from three pointers, fourteen percent. That obviously is not good. Rashad. Was it as bad as it looks? Because it looks pretty damn awful. Okay, first off, I don't cheer in the press box because <laughs> I live in fear of Rich Dubroff, who writes for AP, and he's the older guy. He's like the old, all things standards-wise in terms of journalists, and I live in fear of him that he's going to look at me cheering and he's going to have my neck. So I don't cheer. I cheer internally. Okay, that's number one. Number two... That game, you know, I've had a little while to, not a whole lot, but just a little while to ruminate over that game. And, you know, it reminds me of when I was growing up and I would watch the Chicago Bulls and all of the other Bulls would be having a game akin to what the Wizards did against the Heat. And Jordan would just say, okay, fuck it, I'm going to get 50. And he would just kind of energize everybody and he would say don't worry about playing tonight I got you you'll get me the next game except everybody's injured there's no Bradley Bill to pick up the scoring slack there's no Gary Hill to come off the bench and to score a lot of points to get them back in the game you know there's no Nene to take advantage of Whiteside or you know there was just there a lot of people missing and sometimes I think because we're so knee deep in the Wizards and we can't really see from the outside, this is a injury. There are a lot of injuries on this team, and the injuries are in key spots. And so, Wall can score, but he's not a scorer. You know, and Otto Porter is learning how to be a scorer, and Ubre can't do that. And Humphreys, regardless of the 11 point outburst, is not a scorer either. And so, I think it was just it was a combination of a lot of things. It was the fact that they just simply could not do it on this night. There was nobody to bail them out. And they went against one of the top five defenses in the league who had an axe to grind because they were embarrassed on their home floor. And Eric Spolster addressed that after the game. He said that was the turning point for them to not just play better defense against the Wizards, but for them to play better defense overall. And he harped on the film session that they went through when they focused particularly on Hassan Whiteside, how he plays the pick and rolls. He wanted Hassan Whiteside to play pick and rolls the way Bosch does. And... Just everybody was everybody was in tune defensively, and when you combine that with just the atrocious shooting by the Wizards, because they were getting good shots. I mean, I know they were blowing their own horn on the Heat side about how good their defense was, but there were a lot of good shots. They were just missed, and that happens. Sometimes the basketball guys aren't with you. So it was the confluence of events there, and so it was pretty clear in the second quarter that this game was over. I mean, they cut it to 14, but... At no point did I see anybody get hot enough to think, okay, here the Wizards come. So I think Randy Whitman had the right attitude after the game. He said, we just forget about it. We take whatever lessons we can and forget about it. I'm not going to hold this game against them because they went up against 
one of the best teams in the East, one of the best defenses in the NBA, and they shot like shit. So I mean, that's you can't really do anything about that. So I'm I'm not, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to harp on that. Even when I wrote about it, I was like, I'm not going to put a lot of thought behind this. I'm just going to get it out, and that's it. Now, if any of those habits spill over into the Heat game tomorrow, yes. then you can look at Randy Whitman and say, okay, you know, maybe you shouldn't have forgotten about that game. Maybe you should have done something on it. So it's kind of a placeholder right now until we see the first five, ten minutes of tomorrow night's game. Yeah, against the Cavs. Yeah, you, what, you, what's interesting about the the box score about John Wall? It's just the it kind of piggybacks on what you're talking about or you know verifies it with this short shortened roster not having a Bradley Beal not having a Nenea defense not having you know a Gary, even a Gary Neal or we haven't had Allen Anderson a whole year it's just some offensive spark plugs that they can kind of put in and having to re- rely on Kelly Oubre having to rely on a Gerald Eddy having to rely on a Garrett Temple who's not a shooter you know having to rely on certain people who are playing bigger roles than they can to have them do this on a consistent basis is is putting them in a tough spot, especially when John Wall goes six twenty one from the field, five assists and zero turnovers. I thought that that's the bizarre one because when you see the Wizards get blasted, it's usually because John Wall maybe has a, a a lot of turnovers, and it looks like and especially with the lowest assist rate, I think there was a lot of open shots that John Wall created because that's what he does and that's what this team is about that were missed. Brian, this team, especially with how shorthanded they are, just cannot win if John Wall does not play awesome. And we're about to get into here later uh, how awesome John Wall has been over the last uh, you know month and a half. What, would you, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, if John Wall doesn't play awesome, this team just is, can't be competitive, especially against one of the top like Rashad said, one of the top defensive, uh, I think the third efficiency uh, in the NBA. Well, I think uh, Rashad made a really good point. It, it's not just that they're injured. I mean, plenty of teams are injured this year and every year, but they're injured everywhere. They're injured with their best score in Bradley Beal, you know, one of their best role players in Nene, and another one in Gary Neal. Uh, I was looking it up earlier. Um, in December alone, Bradley Beal, Otto Porter, Nene, Gary Neal, and Marcin Gortat combined to miss 37 games. The team played 16. I mean, and Gortat wasn't injured. He, he went to Poland for family issues. But, you know, that's 37 games between those five players in, out of 16. That's an enormous amount. And John Wall, uh, his usage rate, hold on, I wrote this down somewhere here, Usage rate in December was 29.2%. Uh, for reference... Brian, what's that? I know. That's a lie. I like it. I like it. That's, that's where you're a good guess. Well, for reference, it was 29.2 in December. Last year for the season, it was 25.7. I mean, he to use a cliche, he literally... Well, not literally, but he really put the team on his back. I mean, he basically did everything for this Wizards team in December, and obviously it paid off uh, in individual accolades. But, you know, all those injuries don't even account for, as you mentioned, um, Alan Anderson not yet playing. You know, he was expected to be a, a significant contributor. He's an important wing player for them. And while the good from him not playing is Kelly Oubre has been able to get some extra minutes, and Otto Porter has been able to play a few extra minutes when he's healthy... But 
you know, if one of them has a bad game, if Porter doesn't play well, if, you know, if Jared Dudley doesn't have it, I can't believe I just said if Jared Dudley doesn't have it, as if he's going to be the savior of this team, but, you know, Alan Anderson's just one more guy who can come in and make a difference on any given day, and sometimes that's what you need. You know, there were a couple games earlier in the year when Gary Neal was the spark plug that led to a couple wins. He wasn't the best player on the court, but he came in and provided enough of a burst for the team to get going. Brian, uh, Ryan Holland started against the Suns, and Gerald Eddy helped win a game against the Nets. That, this this has been a weird exactly. season. <laughs> it's, it's been a weird, weird year. And, you know, Ryan Hollins was, he was with the team for all of, you know, five games or something where he was active and he started three of them or whatever it was, you know, he was basically, he wasn't on the team and then he was irrelevant for like a day and then he was starting for, you know, almost a week and then he was irrelevant again and then he was cut. It was just a complete roller coaster for the guy. Uh, and you know, good for him. He, he, he did his part. He played his role well enough, I guess, but he looked just as confused as anyone else that he was out there. Speaking of confusion, I, I, I have to mention him. Dwan Blair was not available either. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I'm not able to even make fun of uh, Dwan Blair, uh, and he didn't get even get any garbage points, which are his usually his best quality is getting some garbage, getting some piling up some garbage stats, which is usually him getting four fouls as well. And garbage about, points and garbage fouls. <laughs> yes, that's what he does. Uh, but let's segue into Mr. John Wall that you mentioned his useless rates and how he's carried this team. I agree 100%. Once again, the stats bear this out. He was recently named Player of the Month, Eastern Conference Player of the Month for the NBA. A first time a Wizard has been honored as a Player of the Month in the league. It's in 10 years. Uh, for those wondering, it is a very... Guy that I have not mentioned about his weird, random, sexist, and homophobic uh, type of things that he says on his Instagram page. But that player, Mr. Agent Zero, uh, was the last winner in December 2006. Uh, I believe that included the game that he went for 60, uh, one versus the Lakers. There had not been, a, which seems crazy, there hasn't been one since then, but I guess who would, who would have it been? I thought maybe Wall had won this before, but I. I That's I, what I, I was going to say. If it wasn't. <laughs> If it wasn't Wall and it wasn't Arenas, who else would it have yeah, been? I guess Nobody else has been that consistently good for the Wizards. Yeah, maybe, maybe I get confused sometimes when they say player of the weeks. You know, maybe I got a week confused with a month. But yes, so John Wall finished 8th in the NBA in scoring at 22.6 in the month of December. 6 in steals at 2 a game. Uh, led the East in assists with 11.6. Uh, he set a franchise record for the most assists. And games of twenty points and ten plus, ten plus assists in a month. He recorded eleven games with twenty plus points, a career high in seven straight games with at least eleven assists. The first player since Chris Paul in 09 to average 22, 11, 4, and two steals in a month. All those stats come from Jorge in the Washington Post. I want to give him credit. Uh, Rashad, I'll start with you. Just you know, it has been a when I say it's been a strange year, you know, I make some jokes about Hollins and Eddie, but also it's been a strange year for John Wall. John Wall came in this season with all his expectations. He was talking about NBA Finals. He's talking about first-team All-NBA. He's talking about defensive All-First-Team. He was talking about being an MVP candidate. I don't know so much he was talking about that or we just 
you know, asked those questions and he answered them very confidently. But those seem to be the goals that John Wall put puts down with all the people that slight him. Maybe he wrote them on his shoes. And then he just kind of started playing bad. And there was there was glimpses. He shot glimpses of the all-star John Wall, or the one that dominated uh, early in the playoffs last year before his injury. And then it kind of slipped. He was turning the ball over, a lot of careless turnovers. You can go back to my podcast and read all about it. I talked about this for hours and hours and hours. But I don't want to get into that detail. And then all of a sudden, just uh, a switch flipped. And then it became where we went from bad John Wall to now John Wall was good, and the Wizards were being kind of competitive with good John Wall. Then we had really good John Wall and great John Wall. Then we got a, we had a winning streak, and then we have everyone injured, especially Beal, so it's kind of hard what to, to do. I mean, the Wizards were only 8-8 eight and eight in December, but they had players miss uh, 73 games uh, due to injuries or personal reasons within the month. So he, he really was the... the, the the, the glue that kept it all together. What have you seen out of his season and just his his play, uh, especially uh, in this last month where he got this honor? Okay, so let me go back just a little bit. Um, one on Dewan Blair. <laughs> every, every, it, you know, he and Adam, I think he was there at media day where he went to this very heartfelt speech about how being on the end of the bench last year broke his spirit and he was depressed and he decided during the offseason he was going to lose weight. And he was going to make Coach Williams play him, which sounded far-fetched when he said it, and I didn't really believe him. But then everything fell into his lap, and he very well could have been in the rotation by now because everybody's injured, and he didn't do shit. And so when I see him now, it's like, you know, what what happened, man? I mean, it was everything. Everything was set up for him to have a comeback year, and he didn't do it. So that's number one. Number two on Jarrell Eddy. There was this moment in the Heat game, and Brian, I know you remember it, when nothing was working, and Whitman actually looked to the bench and looked at Eddie to see if he create could recreate that Brooklyn Nets moment when he <laughs> turned into Larry Legend. And Jarrell Eddie came in and missed, like the first or second one was an air ball. He just missed it badly. And Whitman had this look like, come on, man, I, you can't bail me out. And it was funny that in 2016... Randy Whitman is in at Darrell Eddy, who was selling hot dogs a month ago and now is in the lineup. That was hilarious. So <laughs> I would like to I point out I was one hundred percent convinced every single shot that he launched was going in. I'm just saying. <laughs> the thing is it was crazy too. It looks like he doesn't even like have the ball. It's like the ball goes to it and he like is releasing it before like he, he's like releasing it and he's getting the pass like all in one motion. Like his release is that quick and you really notice when he is an air ball or it hits the side of the rim or the backboard. But uh, go on. <laughs> yeah, he has an Aaron Rodgers release. It's really, really quick. Um, but, you know, I don't want to be a grouch here, but Wall isn't doing anything I didn't already know he could, he could do. And so, I'm personally, I'm happy for him that he got the Eastern Conference Player of the Month. That's important. Um, that should hopefully kill all this all-star talk that he doesn't deserve. But he does deserve it. Um, but the thing I worry about is, and I use the Bulls, the current Bulls, as an example. When when Derrick Rose doesn't play, Jimmy Butler just he, he feels totally comfortable. He does what he wants to do, and, and you start to wonder: Do we really need Derrick Rose? And of course, they need Derrick Rose. But when they play on the court together, he doesn't maintain that same confidence. And because of how John Wall played back when there was a full roster, I just. 
I have concerns that he'll be able to maintain this level of confidence, this level of dominance and unselfishness when Bill and everyone comes back because we we didn't see that a lot at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the season in this new style of play. And I know he did it last year in the playoffs, but I, I, I have, I don't know, maybe I'm being overly pessimistic, but I I would I would be happier if he were doing this and they had their full roster and their, they had a winning record. Um, for him to be doing this and they're still what, 10th, 11th in the East, and not a lot of people are back yet, it doesn't really mean anything because they're, they're not in the playoffs. And it's funny you mentioned Chris Paul. Chris Paul hasn't really won anything either. And he's battling that same thing where he's put up glorious numbers, but when it comes down to crunch time, is he taking his team to the next level? And, you know, I, I, I have concerns about that. I'm, I'm happy for him, but I think both of you will admit He's not doing anything that you didn't think he already couldn't do, that he hasn't done throughout his career. But it's just not happening. They're not impactful numbers. And that's not his fault, but I just worry as everyone comes back and allegedly Nene and Neil are day-to-day, so they may come back anytime. And Bill, I'm sure, will be back before January is up. When they field that roster, that the starting five that they wanted to field, and when the bench is fully stocked, is he going to maintain those minutes? And I think if he were to get a player of the month award, say in February or March, with everybody back, then I would say, okay, the Wizards are ready to take that next step. Now, you know, it feels like Sharif Abdurrahim, where he put up wonderful numbers for a team that wasn't going anywhere, and it just felt like empty. It just was an empty feeling. And I'm not trying to be a doubter here. I'm just that's how it feels right now. No, so so hold on. So so Rashad, is your concern? That when Beal comes back and Nene comes back and and they have more weapons, that Wall is going to defer somewhat. Not necessarily defer, or but not just be like it, you know, like he's the alpha dog. Like I'm the because I think that your your analogy is I think that you were making with Butler is that when Butler doesn't have Derrick Rose on the court, the Butler knows that he's the man, and he arguably I mean he's not arguably he is Chicago Bulls' best player. He has played. Better Derrick Rose has shot really poorly, but when Derrick Rose is out there, he's still shooting. He still thinks he's Derrick Rose the MVP, and Butler kind of concedes a little bit to him, and I think that has hurt their offense, or just hurt their offense that Derrick Rose is shooting twenty percent, I, I believe, on mid-range shots, and he's finishing really horribly at the rim. The last the last uh, time I heard, so is it is that you see when Butler doesn't have Rose that he doesn't defer, he's the man, and that you're concerned that Wall might not just have that I'm the best person on the court. I need to take in just kind of cruise a little bit because he maybe can rely on Beal and, you know, Nene or Neil or Anderson to a lesser extent on the second units. No, I don't think that Wall will feel like he's not the best person on the court. I don't think he thinks like that. But I think because he's a point guard and because he's generally unselfish, I just worry that he's going to be so unselfish and he's going to feel like, okay, I have to get my guy Beal going and I have to get these other people going that he's going to lose that rhythm that he has right now where he's not worrying about that at all. That's true. He's, he's doing, I mean, if you look at... He's like, this guy can't was, guard me, I'm going to the hoop, right? Right, he's just fearless right now. Part of it is because he knows he has to put the team on his back. Part of it is because he's going against people who he knows can't guard him, and it just adds to him being supremely confident. Whereas when you have players like Beal and Nene and maybe Alan Anderson and Neil, the mind state is different. It's... Okay, I know I can get mine when I can't when I when I want, but I have to get my teammates involved. And there, there's an adjustment there. There's an adjustment period. That's not the same type of wall we're seeing now. And so, you know, 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm I'm blowing up nothing, but I just I worry about that because it is an adjustment when everybody comes back. The not everybody's going to be getting the same minutes. The offense is going to run differently, and I just want Wall to have that same aggression or that same uh, balance when everybody comes back. No, we. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, this team was when they're fully healthy because everyone's using the injury bug and and the excuses are coming out with the injuries and. And they're true. They're they have they have merit. They're credible things to say. But this team was only six and eight when they had a full roster. And Wall was playing not that well. You know, new offense in transition, but the defense fell off the map, which uh, I've belabored to to death. But what, but Brian, what I want to know from you is, do you have any concerns uh, of of Wall, or just not just kind of piggybacking on what? What Rashad said, but also what have you seen out of John as a player this season? Because it's been a it's been a an, a peculiar one, like I mentioned. Well, I'm kind of torn. On the one hand, I I very much agree with Rashad. You know, this is something that I mean, even over his career, when Wall is the only one who's around, when Beal is hurt, as he you know seems to be pretty much you know a, a third of his career, a quarter of his career, he's either. Uh, hurt or on his way back from being hurt, but when Wall has to take the the responsibility, he kind of does. You know, he he steps it up. On the other hand, what I'm more impressed about this time is that he's taken it up to a new level. He looks different, um, and whether that'll continue when everyone gets back, I don't know. But it's somewhat reassuring seeing these numbers that he's putting up now because. Not only is he putting up 22 points or whatever it was in uh, in December, but he's also putting up these insane amounts of assists. And who is he passing to? You know, it's Otto Porter has been healthy for some of it, but he's also been not healthy for some of it. Garrett, I mean, Temple. Garrett Temple <laughs> turned in Garrett Temple turned into an All Star for three games. That's what? Are you kidding me? Garrett Temple is not an offensive player, and I don't know, maybe he has it and he's just finally gotten the chance to unlock it. No, he's not. But <laughs> nothing that I've ever seen from him would indicate that. You know, he, yeah, let's not get crazy here. Yeah, yeah. He's turning these players who shouldn't be anything more than, you know, 7th or 8th guys at best on on the average good NBA team into quality starters. Uh uh, just, by, just entirely on the merits of his own play. So, while I see what Rashad's saying, and that maybe you know Wall will go back into his old ways, I feel like if he can continue what he's doing, not to get hyperbolic, but really the sky is the limit. Can you imagine how good that team would have functioned if you just take exactly what happened, but instead of Garrett Temple, you know, shooting open threes, you had Bradley Beal. Instead of, you know, some combination of Ryan Hollins and Dwan Blair and Chris Humphreys and whoever else at backup center and sometimes power forward, you had Nene. You had just all these guys who have a history of contributing valuable all-star-esque minutes um, or at least above-average role-player minutes at the absolute worst. That would be so much better than... Garrett Temple and Ryan Hollins and Jarrell Eddy and, I don't know, whoever else. Randy Whitman's strapping on the jersey. 
yeah, I agree. I, th- I think that you both made outstanding points, and you've made very good candidacies, uh, candidate, uh, all-star candidacies for John Wall. He currently is fourth in the voting that they released. He said he played like shit. He also wasn't happy uh, that he was fourth in the voting. Rashad, what are you? Why do you think that he was fourth? So, so to let the people know, last year he was first in all-star guards in the Eastern Conference. Uh, second, Lowry basically edged out uh, Dwayne Wade for that second spot. Now you have Dwayne Wade, Lowry, Kyrie, who hasn't even played overall. I think the Kyrie not playing at all overall has really pissed him off on that quote when he was asked. Rashad, he's we're obviously biased. John Wall is an all-star starter over them. I mean, set the set the fam two things. He's an all-star starter without the fan voting. If he just had to pick an all-star backcourt from this season so far, who would you pick? Does Wall make that cut? And second of all, why is Wall fourth in the voting? It's really bizarre to me. Is it, why do you think it is? I have a couple uh, ideas. Obviously, who knows the actual answers, but why? How he can go from being – I think he was like third overall in voting uh, on the Eastern Conference last year. And then now he's the fourth guard already in the opening uh, voting. Well, fans are idiots, number yes, one. That, there I mean, you go. That's true. I mean, number one, Confirm. Dwayne Wade is going to get it because he, he he's playing better this year. There's, there's, there's no doubt about that. I mean, Lowry, the fans in Toronto are fanatical, and the D.C. fans are not. I mean, there, there's no way to get around that. They're just not. He has the whole country. He has the whole country, essentially. Right. And D.C. fans don't pay attention to basketball until the Redskins lose this weekend. Sorry. <laughs> so, you know, and Kyrie Irving, I'm sure, is, he, he's a favorite player. He's he's healthy now. I, I, I don't think John Wall should take that personally, although I think he will. To me, if I'm John Wall, I take pleasure in knowing that every coach pulls their hair out trying to game plan for him. I mean, I've listened to countless coaches say, we don't know what we're going to do. He gets every. He makes everybody better. I mean, they they literally have to worry about how they're going to game plan for John Wall. You don't have to do that with Dwayne Wade. You know, you don't have to do that with Kyle Lowry because he's not even the best player on his team. And you know, Kyrie. Nobody's thinking about Kyrie. They're thinking about LeBron. And so, you know, of course, John Wall wants to make the All Star team, and he will. He'll be. He'll get in there somehow. I just. I don't think that you can put any stock on with the fans or how the fans vote because it doesn't mean anything. I mean, Kobe's about to get in, you know, and, and Kobe's been playing like me. So <laughs> I just, I, I don't think he should worry about that. I really, when I hear Wall talking about the All-Star game and commenting on it, it kind of makes me mad because he's at that point now where the goal should be championship. Yeah. Shouldn't be talking about All-Star games and all of that because that'll come. If you play well enough, that'll come. His goal should be a little bigger now. And so I, I really think that – I mean, I know the Wizards have to and the PR people have to push him, and that's their job, but that's not his job. He doesn't need to do that. His play should speak for itself. It just did in the month of December. I'm sure when everybody gets back, he'll continue that, and I think he should focus on that. The All-Star game, you know, he's going to make it. I mean, there's no way you're not going to have John Wall in the All-Star game, but that shouldn't be his focus. I, th- I think what happens told- is a wall, wall actually answers a question that Jay Michael says, and that he's very candid. It's like it's like last year when he, you know, when Dwayne Dion Waiter said they, they're the best backcourt. He said, "How about he's not even start? He should start first. 
which is a very funny comment that has a lot of views on my YouTube uh, account that you can go watch. But Brian, your thoughts on Wall as an all-star? And why do you think he's so low in voting? Uh, well, I, you know, I, well, I, I agree with Rashad. I mean, I don't think you really need an opinion. It's just a fact. Fans are idiots. I mean, I, I don't think you can possibly take all-star voting, especially in basketball, but in most uh, American sports, major American sports, but especially in basketball. You know, it was the one year that Yao Ming uh, was a starter. He was, like, top three in votes or something, despite not even suiting up for the year. You know, like Rashad said, Kobe's in. Kyrie Irving is beating Wall, despite just making his debut, you know, a few weeks ago. It's obviously, it's not even a popularity contest. It's it's just a who-shows-up contest, basically. Um, you know, it's, it's like the Kansas City Royals when they had, for a while, like seven of the nine starters in the All-Star game were going to be from the Royals just because the Royals were better at pushing it than the other teams. It, it doesn't mean anything. With that said, I kind of see why Wall is pissed off only because of who it is in front of him. I mean, if you had to pick two guards, two players, really, who John Wall personally has a rivalry with, I mean, you could you could say a number of them. There are plenty of options that would come up. But to me, who I think of are perhaps Kyrie and perhaps Kyle Lowry. Kyrie, because of all the stuff in part last year with the whole um, waiters and Beal uh, backcourt situation and all that, but also because they're, they, for a long time, were two young, really talented point guards on bad teams in the East. They played each other a lot. Their teams generally sucked. And now that each of them's gotten help, each of them's gotten better. There's a lot of comparisons that go there. Uh, yeah, Kyrie's more of a scorer. John Wall's more of a, a distributor. But that actually, I think adds a little to it you know do you want the guy who's going to be able to take over a game who's going to be the perfect scoring complement to LeBron or do you want the guy who's going to turn Garrett Temple into an all-star um and then with (laughs) Kyle Lowry you know there's always that sort of I think last year it kind of stepped up a notch I don't think there was much there before but I think Paul Pierce kind of uh, put a little bit of the trash-talking spirit into John Wall. Not that he needed any more, but he, he really seems to have stepped up his game. I mean, the Reggie Jackson comment, uh, I forget when it was, but when the reporter asked him something about the new salary cap or something, and he said, responded with something along the lines of, I'm making the same amount of money as Reggie Jackson, so you know, what does that show you about the salary cap or the max contracts or whatever? It was a great comment, but you know, that's probably not something he would have said earlier in his career. Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, but it, it just, he's got a little bit of this trash talking now. He doesn't like the Raptors. The Raptors don't like the Wizards. There's a little bit of a rivalry uh, after the past few seasons. So I think he just kind of sees Lowry and Irving as the two guys or two of the guys right ahead of him. And that probably ticks him off. If it was somebody like, I don't know, Monte Ellis or something, I don't think he, I think he'd be sort of confused and upset, but I don't think it would really get to him. I think those two specific players got to him. Well, I think it also, it also really, it gnaws at him that Kyrie hasn't even played, correct? Yeah. So that's probably the part that really gets him to answer that very viscerally that response instead of just a diplomatic answer like, oh, yeah, you know, he's a great player. He's a great player. We'll see what happens. You know, there's no 
all all of us should make it like we did last year. But but to me, what I find perplexing is how John Wall goes from the top All Star, one of the top vote getters, to fourth place. And and I know you can say fans are idiots, but that means they were smart last year. I, I get it. Like it's a popularity contest. Kobe, I think, is in first place. I don't have all of them with me. We've seen over the years how the fans will always vote in. You know, people that are past their prime and shouldn't shouldn't usually lose a year, year or two more. I mean, I think even Michael Jordan Wizards got uh, got voted in, I believe, on his last last game there in uh, Atlanta. Uh, so that's what's perplexing me. So I'm trying to think: is it a lack of the national TV games that the Wizards have had, where? Or is it that you know John Wall and Adidas have had a fall, have a, had a fallout, which was kind of behind the scenes? Uh, there was a really good article I'll, I'll link in the show notes about what what happened. Pretty much, they're kind of playing out the string that his contract wasn't renewed over the summer, and he's pretty much going to be a shoe free agent uh, next summer. So he doesn't really have a shoe company pumping him the way Kyrie does with his commercials and Nike. Is that does that play a role? How much is the Wizards PR team done? I, I know that they're going to have a social media night. I saw that they announced next week, uh, which seems to me be another way to to tweet out John Wall All Star votes. But we'll see what happens. I don't. I, I don't. I don't think it's any of that. I think it's again really? Kyrie plays for the Cavs, so he's always going to have LeBron an, votes, an automatic PR machine, and LeBron. Kyrie plays. I mean, not Kyrie. Lowry plays for Toronto, where they're just. They're fanatical, and Dwayne Wade is Dwayne Wade. Last year, the Wizards were their record was much better. They were playing better. Every time we turned on TNT or NBA TV, there was talk about you know the Wizards are really coming up. The Wizards are our team to watch. There was just a ground to well of watch out for the Wizards, and that was helped by how Wall and Bill and everybody were playing. He, they, don't, they don't have that this year. They're not playing well. He didn't play well at the beginning of the season. He, he's coming on in December. But, you know, again, when you're dealing with the, with the fans, they're, they're, very, they're very shallow. And if you haven't really heard anything from all the first months and you want to vote for these other people, that's, that's just what happens. I don't think that it's anything that Wall or the PR people, I don't, I don't think it's on them. I just think that's, that's how it is. Wall, for some reason... It's not at that point where he gets grandfathered into the All-Star game every year the way certain players do. It's really contingent upon how the team is doing, how he's doing, and the team is doing badly. He didn't play well all the first month. He's coming on now. Again, it won't matter because he'll be there in February, but I think that accounts for where he is in the voting. So, yeah, no, I think we're- know, I, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't make a big deal about it. Yeah, I probably, we've probably belabored too much on this topic right now, but what really pushed him off, pushed him over the edge last year was his Christmas Day performance, right? The early game on Christmas. Everyone wants to sneak away from dinner, and there was John Wall versus the Knicks, the hapless Knicks, and he made that amazing spin move that everyone replayed. They showed all day. I think that helped his – I know that definitely helped his cause because at the time I think the votes were kind of close, and then he really pulled away when – uh, the the Maya game against the Celtics where he broke down in tears afterwards and that became a national story. I think those were the two that really leaped him in. And I guess maybe I was just thinking that he leapt in and he isn't gonna be grandfathered in and that he had a poor start and, and that you're you're probably correct in those things and maybe uh, I'm I'm wrong. I, I I'm wrong. Can you believe it? Uh, I'm wrong. I, I, I wanna get off this topic. Brian Brian I wanna get to you Rashad but Brian first just your overall sense as I said that there are 50 games left of this season. They're 15 and 17. We've talked about all these things, these issues, this team. 
What is your feeling right now with this team and where it's headed? And are we still just unknown what we have because of the injuries and the style changes and the in and out lineups? Or, or what what kind of sense do you have going into the next uh, two or three months of the season uh, about this about this franchise and this team? Well, on the one hand, yeah, we we have a pretty good idea of where we are, but. I personally, this is me, I really don't think we'll know. Again, I think we will fall into a state of unknowing once all these other players come back. You know, we're, we're not just, as Rashad mentioned, we're not just talking about uh, about just like a few random injuries, you know, they just don't have the depth, but they're missing key players. So as soon as, you know, it, hypothetically, let's say Beal, Neal, and uh, I don't know, Nene, they all come back within a week or two of each other. It is a massive change to a team that's played almost exclusively without them for most of the season. Well, not most of the season, but most of the past few weeks. So you have to adjust. You have to bring these guys back in. They're going to need some adjustment to not only get into physical shape, but to get incorporated back into the lineup to you know shake off the rust. But... I, I think it's going to be really tough to figure out where they are once all these guys come back. And as I mentioned, they have a really, really difficult stretch coming up. Uh, I, I was taking some notes here. They have Of their next 16 games, 11 of them are against teams with winning records. Uh, those teams have a combined 562 winning percentage. And then to top it all off, the games 15 and 16 out of that 16-game stretch or against OKC Golden State. I mean, it's and it starts with Cleveland. You've got three of the four best teams, with the Spurs being the only ones not included, to start and end this very difficult stretch, and that's through the very beginning of February. So it, it really doesn't get easy. They had their easy portion of the season. That was the beginning of the season, when they played the fewest amount of games in the first month or something, and they botched it. You know, John Wall played some of the worst basketball we've seen from him in, a, I don't know, two years, three years to start the season. And as a result, they were something like 10 and 14 uh, to start the year. So they had a really good chance to, you know, take a huge step forward to go up, you know, 25 and 10 or something like that to open the year. And they did not take that. Um I don't know if they ever could have gotten a 25 and 10. That's asking a bit much for this team, but they could have had a very good record at this point, and they don't at all. So you're pessimistic, Rashad. You're 50 games left. I I predicted at the beginning of the season. I think I I think I said 51 wins, which would mean that they would have to go 36 and 14 which is definitely not happening. Uh, <laughs> how are you on your predictions? And just where are we headed with this team? Because I really, once again, I think I wrote it three weeks ago where I said they're consistently inconsistent. I feel the same again. I don't know what to think I'm, of this team. It, it's, it's, it's a very uncertain time. There are very uncertain times right now because just if you're Ted Leontis right now, which is going to sell to the fans and to everyone is this is a throwaway year. Everybody is hurt. You can't really judge Whitman because he hasn't had everybody. You can't judge the team because they haven't played together. 
it just reminds me a lot of those wizards I grew up with where better better luck next year was the motto and it's things are setting up to be that way right now they're 15 and 17 you know if you're looking at the Eastern Conference Brooklyn is about to go down the dumps because they lost Jared Jack Philly is in too big of a hole but every team from Milwaukee up to Cleveland is fair game and Milwaukee is playing well the Knicks are playing better all these teams are trending upwards except for the Wizards and they're not trend they're not not trending upwards because of their personnel because of their injuries and as Brian alluded to earlier this schedule is scary i mean they could literally by the end of this month be out of the playoffs or create such a big hole that they have to play optimum basketball in the month of february and i think about when the cavs played the warriors on christmas day and LeBron, they were talking to LeBron after the game, and he was just frustrated because he was like, just because we have everybody back doesn't mean we're back. We have to get the rotation set. We have to get in the rhythm, and that takes time. Well, the Cavs can afford that because they're one or two in the East this whole season. They've been right there. They can have some slippage where they can lose five, six in a row. Number one, they have LeBron. Number two, they've built such a cushion where they can afford to come back and they can work their way back up. The Wizards have no cushion, and the schedule, I mean, when you look at the schedule and you go game by game, Cleveland at the Verizon Center, you can't pencil that in as a win. You know, Toronto on Friday, you can't pencil that in as a win. You want to be able to pencil in Orlando on Saturday, but at some point they're going to break the streak. You know, at some point they're going to get it together. Then you have the Bulls, you have Milwaukee, you have Indiana, then Boston, then Portland. You know, none of these are, are easy games, and... They aren't easy games if they have their full team. We don't know who's going to be back, who's going to come back, who's going to be on minutes restriction. And so this is a very uncertain time for the team, and it's it's the kind of thing that we're going to see what Coach Whitman is made of. He's going to need Wall to play heavy minutes and to put up numbers like he did against Orlando, not Miami. He's going to need somebody else, whether it's Temple, who's an all-star after this podcast, or Humphreys. <laughs> He's going to need somebody to step up consistently, and you're just asking people who have normally been role players or complementary players to be put in a position where they're being counted on, and it's dicey. And this isn't just natural, I cover the team pessimism. This is legitimate worry. They're playing teams to beat them at full strength, and now you're asking them to beat, to, you're asking the Wizards to beat them when they're shorthanded. So this, this, this is very shaky. Um, you know, Selfishly speaking, as a journalist, I'm loving it because there's all kind of things to write about. And when the team is not doing as well as you would like, that's when you you have a lot to write about. But as a fan, I, I'm just concerned because, as I said, like Brian said, the schedule just looks very, very scary. And there is no game on the schedule that I'm looking, except for the Jazz at home, that I can say, okay, they got this. You know, there's just there's, there's no game like that. Yeah, it, you say that about the Jazz. I'm much less confident about that Jazz game than you are. Uh, maybe the Nuggets, uh, they play late January, but I'm looking at the January schedule. You're correct. Another thing, too, is there's there's a bunch of back-to-backs happening as well. And, and as a team that's banked, I mean, the next two weekends, they have so they have Toronto at home on Friday night, at Orlando on Saturday, a back-to-back. Then they play at Indiana 
Boston at home front next weekend, two weekends on a back to back, and with the injuries that we've seen of this team, that could that that could that could be a, a, a difficult endeavor to accomplish for this team. And and I, I I agree with both of you. Another thing that I find alarming on this is the team is eight and nine at home. Uh, they're seven and eight on the road and eight and nine. Only two teams have a worse home record in the Eastern Conference. And you mentioned them both, Rashad, than the Wizards. It is the Nets and the Sixers. So they're not even defending the home court. They will win some games on the road. I, 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 once again, I don't want to check this out to injuries. I just can't get a read on this team. And, yes, there's a lot of negative pixels I can, I can talk about, but there just hasn't been that much fun as a fan. I don't know what what the lineups are happening. And, and I'm really concerned about – I don't think that fans want to throw away the season, especially with the expectations and especially with all the goodwill that was produced in the last two postseasons and all the hope and expectation, all the hope that was produced with a young nucleus and a young backcourt. And, but today I go to the Washington, uh, I go to ESPN.com Wizards page, and the first article I see is Chris Ford talking about how maybe they should tank for Ben Simmons <laughs> in the throwaway season. Brian, talk me down. Tanking uh, for Ben Simmons is just another clickbait article. I didn't click on it because I didn't want to. I didn't want to uh, go down that that hole yet. With 50 games left in the season, can they turn this around? Tanking for Ben Sim- Simmons. Have you had fun as a fan watching this team? Talk to me. Well, on a Ben Simmons note, I. I think there are very few teams that should not tank for Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons is just so much fun to watch and I think has just unbelievable potential. I saw something where, uh, I, again, didn't click it like you did, but some comment where apparently Magic Johnson was saying he could be the best player since LeBron or something along those lines. That said, no, it, I, I think it's way too early to consider tanking. You know, if we get through the end of the month and you know, the Wizards went, let's see, they got 14 games left. If they, you know, I don't know, they go 4-10, and 10, that's a reasonable conversation. Even then, I don't think it's the right conversation, but it's much more reasonable. The main reason that I don't think it's time to have that conversation is because I just don't buy this East resurgence. It's been impressive, and frankly, it's lasted longer than I thought it would. To me, it's kind of like Donald Trump's presidential candidacy. I thought it was like a fun little fluke for a while, but as time keeps passing, it stays relevant, and it's confusing. Uh, I just... You look at the NBA standings, and for instance... Uh, let's see, let's pull out an example here. Dallas is 19-15, Memphis is 19-17. and In the East, Boston is 19-15. and I mean, if I'm taking... If I'm ranking those three teams, I'm probably going Dallas, Memphis, and then way down Boston. And yes, Boston has some pieces, but come on. A Dirk-led team over the just uh, the odds and ends Boston Celtics? Wait, I, I think that's wait, insane. I, I got I to jump in here. I mean, first of all, Dirk isn't leading anything at this point. He is not leading that team. He's very much In a season series, he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, he might I, not... Leading the usage rate, but you put the ball in his hands over anyone else's on that team in a clutch situation. Okay, that I can argue that, but Memphis, 
like if you I have I have friends who live in Memphis and they are absolutely terrified of that team has has run its course. Like I mean, we saw Memphis when they were here. Vince Carter was playing a lot of minutes. And that yeah. team has no identity right now. They can't play Zach Randolph and Gasol together anymore. I, I don't I, I don't think you can dismiss the fact that the East is better. The Celtics are a, a very, very scrappy team. They're playing a lot better. They have a lot of confidence, and they are well-coached. I, I think there's some truth to the fact that the East is better. Now, when the playoffs start, there aren't a lot of Eastern Conference teams that can beat Western Conference teams. So in that respect, you're right. But just top to bottom, the East is better. There are a lot of younger players who have gotten better. There are a lot of teams like the Knicks and Milwaukee who have just matured a little bit. So I don't, I don't, I don't think we can dismiss it. And Detroit has Brandon Jennings back. That adds a whole new dimension. So there, there is some truth to the fact that the East is better. However, when we get to the playoffs and you have to play a seven-game series, there aren't a lot of teams outside of Cleveland and Chicago and Miami, I have no faith in Atlanta, who can beat Western Conference teams. So it just depends what you're, you know, if you're grading on the regular season, yes, they are deeper. But in terms of if you ask me who in the Eastern Conference can be a Western Conference team, that's a, that team, that's a Cleveland, Chicago, Miami, and that list stops for me. I think also what happens is that it's really hard to buy into the Pacers, the Celtics, or the Pistons, who currently are 1915, 1915, and 1916, the six, seven, and eight spots, even though the Wizards obviously are going to have to knock one of those off, where we have seen the Raptors and the Hawks, the Heat, the Bulls, and the Cavs, obviously, in the playoffs. Those teams, and the Magic are, are, are tied for eighth with the Pistons at 1916. It's really hard to buy into those teams from a sense, but I do think that they're playing better basketball than the Rockets or the Jazz. Uh, and so I think that I can see both sides of the argument with that. But going back to the standings, the point I want to make before we move on and finish up this podcast is that the Wizards are fi- when they're 15 and 17. But 17 losses, they're only five behind the Bulls who are in second place at 20 and 12. So as much as we're just ripping on this team, and as, and that there still is the opportunity. Like the hole isn't dug that much, Right. Well, that's kind of my point. Like, I, I do think the East is better for sure. Like, and I, I actually buy the the Pacers. I, I would put them in one of the, not the top tier, of course, but in one of those teams that I do think is their success is um, explainable, I guess. But that sort of middling tier, that group that's basically everyone, like starting at like the seven seed all the way down to. You know, are we throwing in the Knicks? Are we throwing in the Knicks? Ah, <laughs> the Knicks are teetering on that edge. All on the Kristaps. Hornets. Closing. We haven't mentioned the Hornets. The Hornets are in there, too. Well, honestly, I thought the Hornets would be terrible this year. When they lost, um, what's his name, uh, for the season, uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, I-, I thought they were done. Kemba's great. That's all fine and good. I thought they were done. Well, they probably uh, are. Jeff- Jefferson's out now. They've lost three or four. Three, uh, they were three and seven in the last ten, so we could be seeing that happen. Yeah, but what I'm thinking is, I Detroit, uh, Boston, the Knicks, Orlando, Charlotte, uh, those teams I just don't buy. Uh, yes, they're better than they have been in recent years, but I don't think that they will continue over an 82 game season to 
win 55 to 60 percent of their games or 53 to 57 percent of their games you know if you go back to in recent history i think it was the last three seasons uh an eastern conference team has made the playoffs with a losing record i just find it hard to believe that as an entire conference it has improved that much to the point where the wizards at 15 and 17 are the what fourth worst team in the conference i just i don't buy that um, and yes, they've been injured, and you know they haven't played all that well. And I get that, but uh, fifth worst team, sorry. Fifth, yes. But um, you know, I just I don't buy it. Um, the Knicks are better with Kristaps Porzingis. Brad Stevens is an amazing coach. Toronto added Damari Carroll. Paul George has—I mean, uh, Indiana has Paul George. Uh, Andre Drummond is playing out of his mind. Um, but for me, it's. it's kind of been sort of flipped on its head of what I thought was going to happen this year. I thought Charlotte was going to be terrible. Uh, I thought Toronto's about where I expected them to be. But I thought Atlanta would take a serious hit losing to Mario Carroll, frankly. Um, Detroit, I didn't think, had a chance to be as good as they are. I I just, I don't really buy it. Um, I think Chicago needs to do something to address all their bigs and not enough wing depth if they actually want to be, you know, not relevant because they're going to be relevant, but serious contenders as the season wears on. Because I, I just don't think their lineup makes a lot of sense right now. I realize that's hypocritical coming from a Wizards fan perspective, but I, I think, you know, you just kind of let this season play out. I don't think you really need to make any drastic moves, maybe a trade at the at the deadline or something, a minor adjustment move. Um, if you can either add an impactful big or an impactful wing, but I don't think you really need to do much else. I just think you need somebody else who can actually make a difference instead of a whole lot of role players who, at times, go cold altogether. You know, if you have five role players who can at any point step up, there's nothing saying they will step up. And that's kind of what the Wizards, when healthy, have. Rashad, they are... The the Wizards are two and a half out of the eighth spot. They are four games out of the fifth spot and five games out of the second and third spot of the playoffs. 50 games left. Realistically, where can they achieve? Where can they go? Where do you see it? Can they shake out? Four or five. At this point, you can see they're not going to get home field advantage. If they make their run, get everyone healthy, shoot for the five, fifth seed, or can they go to this two seed and go on a run? Or, or is that just me being optimism? Because uh, the Packers have made me be pessimistic about football, and my Iowa Hawkeyes have made me really pessimistic about football. Okay, look. <laughs> Iowa Hawkeyes, they made a bowl. Right, Green yeah. Bay is in the playoffs. My team didn't even make it for the playoffs. <laughs> the Redskins, so I'm not going to entertain that. Right? Okay. Now, I, I, you know, I don't think, I don't think the four or five spot is realistic because I don't see Toronto or Atlanta. Atlanta, I did not expect to be playing this well, but I don't see them dropping off. From Indiana down, I think that they could catch one of those teams, but again. We're talking under the assumption that somebody is going to be healthy and going to come back. And at this point, I don't think we can make that assumption. We don't know. We could get an email from the Wizards PR staff tomorrow saying Nene is out for the season with a calf. You know, um, it's just 
it's difficult to make any predictions because we don't know, which which makes this season just a toss-up. Assuming everybody is back healthy by February 1st, I think they can lock into that sixth spot and focus on that and say we can we can get there. I just don't think they're going to catch the top four. And they don't necessarily have to. I mean, really all you have to do is get into the playoffs with a healthy team. I don't no one is fearing Cleveland or nobody is fearing Chicago, especially if you're the Wizards. You just need to get in healthy, knowing exactly what your roster can do and go from there. I think that's what they need to focus on. I don't think they need to focus on we have to get home court advantage because they 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 just they've dug themselves too deep of a hole. And not to compare them to the '95 Rockets in terms of the talent level, but the 95 Rockets just did not have a good season, and they just did enough just to get into the playoffs. And once they got in the playoffs, they clicked. And I think that's what Randy Whitman has to preach. It's like, look, this isn't last season. They, you know, they played well towards the end of the season, and they can afford to jockey for the position that they wanted. This year, they just need to put together a good five to ten game stretch where everybody is healthy. They're playing the way Randy Whitman wants them to play offensively and defensively. And see what happens, but you can't do that until everybody's back. And we have no idea when Neil or Nene or Anderson or Beal are coming back. There's just there hasn't been any definitive date, and so until then, they just have to tread water. And in this case, treading water gets you the 10th or 11th spot. So, well, I have an update. I have an update on Nene. He supposedly told Jay Michael today that he might play tomorrow against the Caps. But uh, do not do not bet on that. Uh, he is actually walking. Him and Neil are walking through at practice. They're not going full speed. I was out to practice today. I caught Whitman. He basically answered. Uh, I asked him a question about three point defense. I can play that for you in my podcast. You probably don't really care. I'm going to write about it tomorrow. But uh, they did give I it. Can. You care that uh, he basically said every defense. We've just been better at defense overall. I'm like, okay, what I'm like, why are you better at three point defense? We haven't done nothing. Nothing's changed. I'm like, okay. You know, well, <laughs> I, Brian and I Brian and I talked about this. When you know, you cover the witches all the time, you get used to hearing Whitman being just belligerent. And then you go over to the Miami Heat and you hear Eric Spolstra eloquently break down why everything has happened. He has a story for everything. He has an anecdote. He has a process. And you realize we're we're like We've been abused by Whitman <laughs> so much that we don't we don't we forget that you know it's actually possible for somebody to speak with eloquence about what's going on. And I, in fairness to Whitman, I don't know whether he does not possess that or whether he possesses it, but he just doesn't want to give us the satisfaction. I think it's a combination. So I, don't, I, don't, I think it's a combo of both, actually. I mean, he went to Indiana. I, I know he has it in him. Yeah, you know, he just wants to dig. <laughs> yes, yes. He's like, it's just overall yep. defense. I'm like, no, specifically, why are you... He's like, well, you know, we're just playing better defense overall. Our offense is better, so that's why we're playing. I'm like, why did you go from the worst defense from three-point in the history of the NBA to now where you're... They are now third from last in this season. There's two teams worse than them. Uh, I looked that up. That's uh, a teaser for my piece tomorrow on the preview of the game. And he just didn't – I didn't even break out the stats because I know breaking out stats is stupid for him. I just said, hey, you guys have been playing better defense the last few weeks. What's what's been the difference? <laughs> nope, cut me off and gave me some answer that had nothing to well, do what with it. The hell, <laughs> I, don't, I, I find Whitman to be I – mean, 
he's done a better job coaching over the last calendar year or so, give or take. Uh, it's probably a little much, maybe calendar eight months or so. But frankly, I it's of course too early to say. You know, we'll see what happens when everyone gets back. But I think it would probably be a mistake to bring him back past this year unless he really changes things. You know, if he if he comes back when everyone's healthy and this team strings together, you know, a, a 15 win and 20 game stretch or something, yeah, you know, maybe he's figured it out. But we said maybe he's figured it out after the postseason last year. And then he has made some changes this year. But to me, just when I watch the players on the court, they just don't really seem to to know what's going on all the time. Whitman just kind of always seems like he's mad about everything. He won't, like, when they're winning, you know, he's over there yelling on the court. When you're watching the broadcast, you can hear him screaming at players. I just kind of get the feeling that it's almost not even like a Mark Jackson in Golden State situation because everyone, all the players loved Mark Jackson based on reports. But, like, it just it seems like Whitman can get them okay. He can do certain things. But if you want this team to to take the step to the next level, I really feel like you need to get a coach who's willing to try different things, who's willing to to be forward thinking. And I've seen some people talk about Mike D'Antoni as the as the option and I don't know if that would be the right move. I don't think it would be, but I don't know. Do I think Mike D'Antoni would be able to produce a better season than Randy Whitman given this lineup? it's possible. Yeah, I think the thing about Whitman is is that his fate is going to be determined on the postseason. If they miss the postseason, I, 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 unless there's unless Wall gets hurt and they can use that injury excuse, as long as Wall is healthy, if they miss the postseason, he's, his, his fate is probably sealed. I don't know about Grunfeld. I think Grunfeld is the bigger issue still. If they, if they, if they want to go to a... I mean, not a bigger issue in the sense that I think Grunfeld... I mean, I can't say good things about Grunfeld because people get upset, but I think he's done an okay job uh, recently. Overall, I, you know, I have differing views of uh, if, we, if we zoom zoom, zoom back. I never thought he should have got the, the next chance with Leonsis, but Ted gave him the chance. I'll have to evaluate how he did. The rebuild, I think, took slower. I don't want to go into a whole Grunfeld or Whitman, but I think that their fates and their determined will, will be determined how this team does on the postseason, especially if they don't improve and if they don't, if they miss the playoffs and Ted misses out and Mountain Minnow misses out on that postseason money because that is very, that is very important to them in that sense. And if the team is getting better, I think it's, I can see Wall getting frustrated. But it could be an injury excuse. I, I don't know. We'll see how this plays out. We got a lot of season. We'll have a lot of offseason and stuff to talk about. Randy Whitman. What I want to talk about before we go is the Cavs game tomorrow. What do you think, LeBron? Uh, the Cleveland's only lost one game at home this year. It was to the Wizards. The Cavs have been playing really well lately. They're still number one. Uh, I don't have a good. F- Kyrie is finally playing better. I don't have a good feeling uh, for tomorrow, Brian. Uh, Rashad had to go. So for those wanting Rashad, uh, he had to take off. So it's just me and you, Brian, to close this out. Your final thoughts on what you what you predict for this game tomorrow on the Cavs and the Wizards matchup with him. Uh, I'm with you. Um, Just under the assumption that Nene and everyone else is still out, 
And even, frankly, if they're back, I don't think that makes a huge difference, especially in their first game back. They're going to be shaking off the rust. But no matter what, frankly, I could easily, easily see this being a 20, 30-point blowout. I have no good feelings whatsoever. Um, You know, you've got Kyrie back. He hasn't played against the Wizards. Uh, you've got the Wizards still being hurt, the Wizards aren't playing that well, you've got the fact that um, the Wizards beat the Cavs at home, and if I'm, I'm saying they were that was the first defeat uh, that they'd had in a long, long time at home, uh, at least in the regular season. I'm pretty sure the, the Warriors beat them a couple times in the finals and all that, but I, I just don't see any of this going well. There's a chance I'm wrong. I've been wrong so many times about this NBA season already. Uh, <laughs> last year, I made a whole bunch of predictions. Naturally, I, I didn't post them anywhere because every time I post them somewhere, they backfire. And the ones that I keep to myself end up working out, as I'm sure a lot of people say. But I made a lot of predictions for this season, and damn near none of them have come true. So... Who knows? Maybe the Wizards will just run up the score and pull out a 25-point win. But my gut feeling is this gets really ugly. Uh, Brian, the Wizards have not won 50 games in the NBA season uh, since the Ronald Reagan administration. Oh, I believe maybe the end of the Jimmy Carter administration. Uh, three, ah, yes. Three, three and a half decades, uh, almost four decades since they've won 50 games in a season. I think it's early 80s. Uh, and I have now predicted them twice in the last six years to win 50 games in a season. One is this one, like I mentioned earlier, and the last one was the year that uh, Gilbert Arenas brings guns into the locker room and gets suspended, and they trade everyone. So so I, my prediction uh, is it's the same. I, I have no credibility on this on these matters. <laughs> well, that's why, that's why like, I hate prediction shows. Like, How many times do you actually – here's my beef, too, about prediction shows. Like All these ones be like, who do you think – going to win this weekend do they ever come back on Monday or Tuesday especially football games football shows do they ever come back Monday or Tuesday and like go through and be like oh yeah you were wrong you were right you were wrong no they just make new predictions about the next week <laughs> they make new predictions unless somebody predicted an upset and was correct <laughs> that's then it it's like, right? oh I called that one so then I'm like well I mean I get it's almost like I don't know I hate I hate the prediction stuff, but then I also ask people's predictions. I just ask you what you think is going to happen tomorrow. But, uh, you know, it's, I guess it's just human nature. We, we speculate and, and we produce these pixels for, for everyone listening. Uh, on that note, uh, Brian, do you have any, 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 any final thoughts? Uh, thank you so much. Uh, you did a hell of a job. Uh, everyone go read him on Truth About It. I'm going to link his stuff in the show notes. Uh, follow him on Twitter. I'll have his Twitter account as well. Any final notes for, for the people, for, for the fans out there? Uh, well, I, you know, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. This was, uh, as, I, as I told you beforehand, the first time I've been on a podcast, and it was a, uh, a more positive experience than I had drawn up in my head. It went well and everything, I think. The one thing that I did want to say on a Wizards note, I, every time I watch this team, I just I keep, I find myself fluctuate. I, I can't figure out what they're doing. You mentioned earlier you can't put your finger on it. You can't get a read on this team, and I feel like the team can't get a read on itself. So my you mentioned New Year's resolutions for this team. My resolution would be that from the players all the way up to coaches, managers, even ownership, they just have to pick a path. And I'm not saying this path is better than that path. 
But they need to decide, are they going to fully commit to small ball or are they going to go back to Whitman ball? You know, are, are they going to, are they going to, you know, continue to go all in on Durant if that's what they're doing now? Or are they going to try to make a move, you know, at midseason, maybe before the deadline to try to trade for somebody who has a longer contract who can help them win in the short term? Who is going to be around? Are they going to just move on from somebody like a Gortat, for instance, if they can find somebody to trade for them? I, I just I feel like they just don't know what they're doing, and they're kind of just sitting back and waiting for good things to happen. And on the one hand, a healthy team features a young John Wall, a young Bradley Beal, a young Otto Porter, a young Kelly Oubre, a few veterans who have been there and done that. Uh, some good shooting, some good big men. There are worse teams to just sit on your hands and wait for good things to happen with. On the other hand, you just mentioned the last time they won uh, 50 games, I was a good decade away from being born. So this is not a team that historically has had a lot of success with, well, luck, I should say. Um I, I just don't think that they they can afford that. I don't think they can sit there and just hope that things go well. I It's tough to say if Durant will come back, but frankly, if I'm him, why would I come back? You've got one of the best teams in basketball. You've got probably the fourth best team in basketball right now. You've got one of the best players in the game playing next to you who has demonstrated an unbelievable level of success. I, I just don't think Durant is likely to come back. It's still a chance, of course, but I feel like they've spent too much time investing in Durant as the option, and the one chance they really had to Im- impress him in D.C., they totally fell flat, and this season, which was billed by some as you know their final tryout for him, has so far fallen completely flat. So... I think maybe not right now, but at some point in the next month or two, they need to formulate some sort of actual plan, what they're going to do this year, what they're going to do in the coming years. Uh, If Wall Beal Porter is their go-to core, are they still giving Beal the max after yet another injury? You know, I... I just I get really nervous watching this team feeling like it could all come crashing down when this is the most hope I've frankly ever had as a Wizards fan like just this general core. Uh 1978-79 Washington Bullets were the last team to win 50 games. So I was correct initially with the uh uh they lost in the finals uh to Seattle uh, after they had beat Seattle the previous year. Uh, to Dennis Johnson, they got swept, and they won 54 games, and, and that's the last time. Uh, so it has been 37 years. Yes, it is. It has been a long, long time. Uh, my New Year's resolution is to uh, give up alcohol uh, and beer and everything. No, no, that's that's a lie. Uh, my, <laughs> my, 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 my New Year's resolution uh, is to actually do push-ups every day, which seems kind of lame. My, my cousin told me he did 100 push-ups every day for a whole year. Uh, him and his brothers did, and so I felt like I can't do 100 push-ups every day, but that has been my resolution. Sounds kind of weird. So I'm just going to get all swole. And me and Chris Humphreys are just going to start broing out and stuff together. You guys it's going to be, be great. 
It's gonna be great. We're gonna get hover, hoverboards and tattoos and uh, go go <laughs> go wakeboarding this summer. I can't wait. Maybe in Minnetonka, he'll invite me up to Minnesota. Actually, uh, we'll never be bros. He barely talks to me, and every time I try to ask him a question, he doesn't want to answer any. So uh, there's the current status with him. But uh, <laughs> I've covered four games now, and he is one of the very few uh, members of the Wizards that I haven't spoken to at all. Uh, and actually come to think of it, I'm only now realizing this. I don't think anyone's asked him questions in the four games I've covered. So I I don't know if he's just like a jerk or if he just doesn't like asking, answering questions, or maybe he just hasn't really, you know, gone off in any of the games Then again, I I watched him put up 11 points in eight minutes. So how much more can you ask for him going off? But whatever. Yeah, no, no, he'll actually answer some questions questions decently when you ask him especially after a game it's sometimes at practice or or afterwards he just doesn't want to talk that he he gives you kind of answers words like jared dudley for example will talk for a long time or garrick temple will talk john wall will talk for for forever in those situations but yeah it's weird on some of those players you can get them it just depends on whether they had a game or you can get them on the side like a ramon sessions or you know, Gary Neal, we can kind of get to the side uh, uh, from the big scrum. But anyway, nobody cares about that. But uh, thank, you, <laughs> th- thank you thank you, uh, once again for joining us. Uh, tell, tweet at me, email me, tell me how bad I suck. I uh, appreciate all your support. This is the first podcast in 2016, uh, so feel privileged. Uh, I know Brian does as, as being a guest. I uh, did a hell of so a job. Privileged. So privileged. Uh, thank you, everyone. And as always, uh, go Wiz.
And you shot the light around 